Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You heard Nick Wyatt there give an update on the COVID numbers, uh, good, encouraging numbers. Uh, there is one uh, he omitted from his uh, newscast there I want to make sure you are aware of, and it has to do with hospitalizations. You think all the way back to the beginning of this saga, the big fear was testing the capacity or stressing the capacity, rather, of hospitals. Uh, the uh, the assertion then was if we get beyond a hospital's capacity to care, uh, then all all, everything breaks loose. We're in trouble. Well, uh, the, the reported number today, total individuals, total Utahns currently hospitalized with COVID-19. Right now, that number stands at 120. That's one of the lowest reported numbers uh, in months. Uh, in fact, it, uh, if you remember, it got up north of 200. And so right now, uh, to be at 120, I think 118 yesterday was the, the low water mark. And that's the low water mark for the past number of months. Uh, so, you know, it's tough to know exactly which one of these measurements to follow, which one is the true indicator of the progress we're making in our battle against this uh, this coronavirus. But uh, hospital capacity and hospital utilization, I think, is a big one. And right now, uh, with the lowest number of Utahns uh, hospitalized due to the coronavirus uh, in the last few months, I think that's a very good sign. And, and breaking that down even further... Uh, those individuals within that 120 number who are right now within the ICU, that number stands at 41. That's also one of the lowest in the last month, excepting uh, only yesterday. Right now, 41, 40 yesterday. Uh, every day uh, over the past number of months, the number has been far higher of those cases being treated in the ICU. Great, great news. Good stuff. Uh, you can decide uh, what uh, is responsible for that. Is it mask wearing? Is it the, the natural natural uh, fleeing of this virus? Who knows what? But whatever it is, uh, let's stay our current course and keep these numbers coming. Okay, that was all a tangent. I just wanted to talk to you about hospitalization numbers. It always catches my attention. I want to talk to you now uh, about an article uh, producer Amy and I discussed yesterday. You see, uh, after every day's program, uh, Amy and I sit down with the rest of the team and we go through uh, what could be possible stories uh, for the next day. Things we need to research, maybe there's a guest or an expert out there we need to reach out to. We make a plan uh, for these conversations that you and I uh, have each segment. And one of the articles that was thrown out yesterday, I'll read you the headline. It reads, U.S. officials, no signs of foreign targeting of mail-in vote. No signs of foreign targeting of mail-in vote. Okay, great. And that was attributed to U.S. officials. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that, that's, that's big news. That's a, that that uh, you know, should, you know, if true, 
set many of the fears held by uh, so many across this country, including the president, that there will be an attempt by foreign countries to undermine uh, mail-in voting. And this article here, uh, put together by the Associated Press, saying that no signs of foreign targeting uh, are, 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 have been identified. So I thought, oh my gosh, okay, well, here's what we need to do. We need to find the name of the official, and we need to get the audio of them sharing that information. And so we went digging, and as I read the article, not in the first paragraph, not in the second paragraph, not in the third, not in the fourth, not in the fifth, but buried down deep in the sixth paragraph, is this sentence. I'll read it to you here. It says, the officials were not authorized to discuss the matter by name and spoke on condition of anonymity. The officials were not authorized to discuss the matter by name and spoke on condition of anonymity. When you read that sentence, and various uh, iterations of that sentence have been uh, rampant in much news reporting over the past number of years, what do you think? Do you think uh, that there is some sort of uh, noble deep throat type who uh, is, is revealing information and the, the revealing of that information is of such importance to uh, national security and national well-being that they are engaged in a noble act? Or, or do you look at it as someone who has, in the first place, made a commitment to their employer, in this case the FBI, and that commitment to the employer is to abide by certain rules and regulations within that organization, namely uh, that you don't step out of line, uh, that you stay in your lane, and that you are most likely not authorized to speak with the media uh, or the public about the goings-on of this operation. And so what does it say about the type of person that would betray that type of agreement? It bothers me. Now, I have been on both sides of this. I have been an unnamed source before, right? I haven't been, like, stepping outside of uh, any rules or anything like that. But just for whatever reason, uh, my name wasn't used and I was referenced. And that uh, a sentence similar to this <laughs> was used to describe uh, what I had said. I have also, to include conversations which have taken place on this radio program, I have drawn uh, from sources I have not named. What do you think? Let's walk through the history of this a little bit. As Amy and I were uh, discussing, uh, the, oh, actually, you know what? Can, can we push pause for a second? Time out. I want to play a quick game. Uh, uh, I'm going to play for you a clip from a movie. And I, I've probably given away some of the details already, so it's going to be a little easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a clip from a movie. We'll just play the first uh, like 10 or 15 seconds of it. And what I want you to do is uh, text into me 57500 uh, what the movie is. All right, 57500. Uh, I'll play you 10, 15 seconds of this clip. Uh, you send me. There's no prize. I'm sorry. I, I don't have a prize for you. I'll, I'll text you back and say congratulations if you get it right. All right, so uh, here, uh, 57500. Which movie does this clip come from? It was a Halderman operation. The whole business was run by Halderman, the money, everything. It won't be easy getting at him. He was insulated. You'll have to find out how. Mitchell All right. Started doing we'll bring that down. Uh, okay, so uh, 57500, send me a note. Uh, on, back to the issue at hand. Um, as, as I was talking with Amy this morning, she brought up, uh, she brought up Deep Throat. Uh, and she brought up, uh, you know, the 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 
the fallout of that anonymous source revelation. In fact, here is uh, Bob Woodward, uh, you know, who was uh, right in the middle of all that. Uh, and he, during the Watergate saga, he went working then for the Washington Post. He uh, here defends the use of anonymous sources. Well, they're not anonymous to us also. I mean, that's very important to understand. Uh, the reason uh, Carl Bernstein and I used those confidential sources, it's the only way you could get people to tell you the truth. They were not going to go out. And if you said, gee, this is on the record, you're going to get the press release version, the official version. Of course, in Watergate, there were... The, there were so many secrets that were buried and hidden. So uh, how are you going to do that? Uh, you have to find people who will be truth tellers where you can establish, the, and this is the key, a, a relationship of trust uh, where you're going to protect them. You are going to check out the information from other sources. And so you present a version that is authentic, and real rather than something that is manufactured. Uh, and in the case of uh, the Nixon presidency, just peppered with lies and deceit. Okay, Bob Woodward there makes a great case for the use of anonymous sourcing. I think what he is describing here, though, and his circumstances are wildly uh, extreme. They, we, we even today in the Trump administration, I don't believe that we are seeing uh, the type of call for uh, you know anonymous sources being appropriate. And on this, on Bob Woodward, before we go to break, I want to remind you uh, of someone named Janet Cook. Okay, Bob Woodward. Uh, after the Watergate saga, he uh, became a big boss managing editor uh, there at the Washington Post, and he submitted a story written by Janet Cook for a Pulitzer Prize. Does any of this sound familiar? Yeah, well, it ends up being the first time in history that a Pulitzer Prize was returned and given to the second place, uh, the, the runner-up. Why? Well, it's because the story that was submitted by managing editor Bob Woodward, from who you just heard, that story by Janet Cook... Uh, was, turns out, entirely fabricated. She had written a story uh, which claimed there to be, uh, in Washington, D.C., a young boy named Jimmy, uh, I think eight years old, if I remember correctly, and young Jimmy was addicted to heroin. And she had, in her story, reference to all these anonymous sources. Uh, there were uh, certain claims made against the, the mayor at the time, Marion Barry, who uh, later would go on to, for some inexplicable reason, acknowledge the existence of this uh, young boy, Jimmy. Well, it turns out it was all made up, and all the supporting sources were fabricated. Those anonymous sources referenced by Janet, uh, they were made up. And Bob Woodward submitted that for a Pulitzer Prize. And so, uh, you know, while on the one hand, he can have a very appropriate relationship with an anonymous source. On the other hand, he can be deceived by an anonymous source in the most extreme. So you, as you continue reading the news, as you listen to programs like mine, as you watch on TV and you hear reference ever made to anonymous sources, always be skeptical. Always be skeptical. Ultimately, you and I bear the burden of our media literacy, okay? Uh, what you and I decide is the truth ultimately falls on our own shoulders, and anonymous sources can sometimes muddy those waters. Quick break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with a middle school teacher. How is her experience going these days? How have the students responded to coming back to school? Oh, and what sets her apart? She teaches at a private school. 
That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.